Welcome to our Sabbath Fellowship here at Kingdom in Context. I'm Sean, and I'm joined by my lovely wife, Lindsay. Hey, guys. Shabbat shalom. Shabbat shalom, sweetie. Shabbat shalom, babe. And we want to thank everyone for joining us today. If you're celebrating Shabbat, I'm sure you're resting, having a great time. If you're not, and you're still searching out the applicability of the entirety of the scriptures for your life as a disciple of Christ, uh, we encourage you to look into the weekly Sabbaths. It's a blessing, and it's actually a sign of the covenant with our Creator. So uh, check it out. We've been doing it for quite some time, years now, and we enjoy it. So let me see here. Thank you, all the moderators that are here in the live chat. We appreciate you. And we want to um, figure out a way to bless you guys in the future. I'm not sure what we can do. but <laughs> I've, been, I've been thinking about it for like a year now. Like, how can I really do something special for all the moderators? And um, I don't know, maybe I'll figure it out once Lighthouse is available. But um, ultimately, we want to thank you guys for being here and helping us keep the chat civil and keeping people focused on what we're trying to talk about. <laughs> because I think today we wanted to talk about like keeping the commandments in relationship to the resurrection mm -hmm. and whether or not you're earning your salvation or if you're just being a disciple who gets evaluated on his effort. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I think that'll probably help. It'll probably cause us to step into what does it mean to be saved? Yes. What is salvation actually? What's the terminology used in a colloquial quick reference that we hear in churches versus the actual process? of when you're actually saved. So I think, you know, trigger alert for everyone watching. If you're new to this channel or to these ideas, just be patient, just bear with us. We're going to go through scriptures. We're going to flesh these things out fully. And then after we're done talking about that, we're going to take some live questions from, from the live chat. So please hold all your questions until the end. And that way your questions don't get lost and we can actually have a chance to address them. Um, also, just as a heads up, Usually every week we don't get to address everyone's questions. So please don't be offended if we can't get to yours. So um, I think the first question or the first verse that I wanted to read today to talk about this idea. And it comes out of first Timothy. Okay. And this is uh, verses 10 through 16. And it says to this end, we labor and strive because we've set our hope on the living God, who is the Savior of everyone, and especially of those who believe. Command and teach these things. Let no one despise your youth, but set an example for the believers in speech and conduct and love and faith and purity. Until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation and to teaching. He's talking to Timothy, obviously. Right. Uh, Timothy was younger than Paul, and uh, he was assigned to take over kind of like the uh, overseer elder slash bishop of these churches in uh, in this area of ancient Anatolia, uh, which would have been Asia Minor back in the day. And I'm pretty sure Timothy took over F the church in Ephesus. So, okay. and it was kind of like a, you know, regional leader in that, in that realm once Paul left and went back. And then of course, unfortunately later was, um, was arrested and taken to Rome where he died. But, so he's just kind of teaching them to, you know, public reading scripture, conduct yourself in your conduct, your speech, your love, your faith. Um, now, the public reading of scripture in verse 13, was that, that the book of Timothy? The book of no, That would have been the quote unquote Old Testament. Okay. That's what I thought too. Yeah. It makes more sense, right? So they didn't have the New Testament back then. Right. They were reading from the scriptures that were the prophets. 
And so that would be the, the exhortation and teaching comes from the prophets, right? Right. Okay. So verse 14, do not neglect the gift that is in you, which was given you through the prophecy spoken over you at the laying on of the hands of the elders. Be diligent in these matters and absorbed in them so that your progress will be evident to all. I always love that passage, right? Because I, I that hits home for me to yeah. be diligent in these matters of teaching and be absorbed in it because that's all I do every day. Yeah, so. you're pretty absorbed in it. <laughs> Verse 16, pay close attention to your life and to your teaching, preserve in these things, for by doing so, you will save both yourself and those who hear you. Whoa, that's a wild statement, right? By doing what? You'll save yourself and those who hear you. I thought Jesus Christ saved us. Well, he does. Okay. The resurrection. <laughs> so Yeshua of Nazareth, our savior, mm -hmm. he saves us. He's assigned the power to actually resurrect us and save us to give us eternal life. He actually atones for our sins. So what do you think like this use of the language here in verse 16 is what Paul's talking about? Well, I would think this would fall into the same category as when Yeshua said that we need to be found worthy to take part in that first resurrection. Right. So even though he's the one who resurrects us, I mean, it is up to us to endure until that moment in That's time right. and make sure that we're, you know, found doing what we're supposed to be doing. That's right. So when he says in verse 16, pay close attention to your life and to your teaching. So that means your teaching has to match your behavior, right? your life, and then persevere in these things, meaning continue to do them, right? That's called discipleship. This is called sanctification. And in doing so, you are being faithful to the end, which is the end of your life. And then you get the resurrection. And uh, and that's that's the beautiful promise. We see something similar in the book of Second Baruch also teaching the same concept here in chapter 32, verse one, it says, but as for you, if you prepare your hearts so as to sow in them the fruits of the law, it shall protect you in that time in which the mighty one is to shake the whole creation. Oh, there's fruits of the law. There's fruits of the law in the old Testament spoken, right? Oh my goodness. <laughs> Amazing. Not just in Galatians five. So yeah. So there's fruits of the law, which is your, the love that comes out of you, the obedience you're known by your love it is the beautiful outpouring of your life and what it looks like um, matching your behavior to the creator and his son. That is the fruits of the law, right? That you're full of justice, mercy, love, forgiveness, forbearance, long suffering. Um, these are the things, the traits that we see the creator <coughs> exhibit in the Old Testament prophets. And so here's a Old Testament prophet, Baruch, contemporary of Jeremiah, priest of the time at that time and scribe. And he's telling the people during the seventh century BC but as for you, prepare your hearts so as to sow in them the fruits of the law. That means I probably got to learn the commandments. Yeah, right? I would say so. So I can sow in the fruits of the law. In fact, because the fruit is the outpouring of doing something. So I have to do the law to get the fruits of the law. Right. And I have to put that in my heart, which means I have to teach myself. This is like, like Jeremiah 4, 4 says, circumcise your hearts. Right. right? With the law of God. And, it, and what, but here's the promise that Brooke says, it shall protect you. What does that mean? It shall protect you. And he gives a time qualifier in that time in which the mighty one is to shake the whole creation. Well, there's only one moment in history that hasn't happened yet in which the mighty one, God and his son, shakes the entire creation. Right. And that's when he opens the firmament and prepares to bring the house down. Right. <laughs> All pun intended. And so that that's the Matthew 24, 29. The powers of the heavens are shaken. Um and it caused this massive earthquake, Revelation 16, 18, that shakes the entire earth. All the cities of all the nations are destroyed because of the earthquake. The firmament's being rolled open like a scroll. 
Messiah and these warrior angels are coming down to do battle, and behind them is going to be slowly descending the New Jerusalem, this massive paradise of God, this massive city and country whose architect and builder is God, the one that Abraham looked for, okay, the coming to the kingdom. Um, so there's a time qualifier on when sowing the commandments into your life will actually protect you. It protects you in that moment because what happens at that same day on the seventh trumpet, when this firmament's being rolled open and Yeshua returns, that's when the first resurrection happens. That's when we actually get the eternal life promise. That's when we are judged as the house of God as believers and giving our treasures that we've stored up in heaven. Right. We're given our assignment as being greater or least in the kingdom. We're actually given our reward of eternal life and are um, being found worthy to partake in the that age to come. Yeah. Right. So we see something similar to that also in Matthew 19. When when Yeshua is being asked by someone that said, then a man came up to him in verse 16 to Jesus and inquired, teacher, what good thing must I do to inherit eternal life? What do you think Jesus is going to say? You think he's going to say, oh, just uh, believe in me and you're good. Well, that's clearly not what he says. <laughs> just believe in me and tithe to that local Baptist church. Yeah. <laughs> Repent and believe the gospel. He says, why do you ask me about what is good? Jesus replied, there's only one who is good. If you want to enter life, keep the commandments. Seems pretty clear to me. You would think. <laughs> Did Jesus say, oh, there's nothing you can do. You could never earn your salvation. Right. Because salvation isn't a conversion moment and it's not your discipleship. The salvation moment, the literal process, is the is the resurrection on the day of the Lord. Right. The day that we just read about, the day when the mighty one shakes the whole creation, that's when you get resurrected and you are officially, fully justified and saved, having a new heart with a law that will never, ever create enmity between you and the Father again, because you will do the law of God as it's written on your new heart and your resurrected body permanently. We're going to read a verse about that here in a minute. So Yeshua is not saying to him, Oh, hey, you, you can't, there's nothing you can do. Uh, how many times have you right. heard a preacher say that? Yep, all the time. Anytime they say uh, Jesus plus anything is heresy. Yeah. And you're like, wait, what? And they say, if you if you confess Jesus and you want to add works to it, you're in heresy. I'm like, but shouldn't a person live a life with deeds under repentance? Shouldn't they actually change their behavior if they've gotten saved? Like yeah. how, what are we talking about here? Yeah. It sounds like a bunch of mantras that doesn't have any definitions to them, you know? And so he goes on to say, um, you're welcome to join no, in no. any time. Um, he goes on to say in verse 18, which ones? So that now the guy is not satisfied with that very simple answer. He's like, which ones? Well, I'm like, bro, which ones apply to you? The man asked and Jesus answered, do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not bear false witness, honor your father or mother and love your neighbor as yourself. The man replies, all these I've kept, said the young man, what do I still lack? Jesus told him, you want to be... Perfect. And that word in the Greek doesn't mean that you're without fail. It just means that you are going to be complete until the end. Right. So what have we been talking about? Persevering, enduring to the end in this behavior, staying in this behavior, this guarding your life and your teaching in this consistent behavior of the commandments of God until the end. Not just not just the, the week you get saved. Right. Right. And you get a haircut and now you start going to church and you <clears throat> you, you cut back on your your alcoholism. Yeah, <laughs> not just for that week, but like you endure to the end, right? You don't give up the faith. And Jesus knew exactly which ones this guy needed to hear. So he then gets more specific with him. And we get that laundry 
displayed for all the world to see forever and through his word. Yeah. And Jesus said to him, if you want to be complete till the end, if you want to be perfect, go sell your possessions and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Now, then come follow me. So he's asking the guy to be his disciple. That was a huge invitation. Yeah. Right. And the guy doesn't do it for one. And he says, you know, the following verse says the guy went away sad because he had great possessions. Um, <laughs> now, this a lot of people have, uh, depending on the translation, they'll malign this idea and they'll say, well, see, you're supposed to sell everything. Yeah, they apply this to everyone. They'll say you you're supposed to, to sell everything and give it to everyone else. I'm like, so basically they want all, all believers in Christ to not own a thing ever. Right. But that's not what it says. This is actually a, a teaching from Deuteronomy 15, 8 through 11. It talks about of your excess. If you see the poor in your land, you should sell of your excess, your wealth, and then give to those in need, the poor, the poor, the widow, the orphan. Um, and that is how you're actually having treasure in heaven. So like this whole conversation should cause us to really pause the next time we hear a pastor say, oh, you can't earn your salvation. That's heresy. That's blasphemy. That's that's denying the grace of God. Right in the chat. That's not the gospel. <laughs> So no matter no matter how many words of the actual Messiah we will read, when someone asks, what do I do to get eternal life? You know, the John 3.16 promise, right? <clears throat> Did Jesus say, oh, just believe in me. You're good. I got you, bro. No, he didn't say just believe in me. There's there has to be works that follow. I don't understand these people who want to walk around and say, if you add anything to faith in Christ, that's not the gospel. But See, then if I were to ask you, okay, does that mean I can go start committing adultery and cheating on my husband regularly and being completely unrepentant for it? Are you telling me I'm going to get into the kingdom if I do that? Like I, it doesn't, it doesn't make sense. So even, even the word faith in the, in the Greek and the Hebrew, it means actions involved, right? It's not just mindset. It's not just changing your mind about something. It's not just acknowledging that Jesus is the Messiah. Like that's up. That's step one. Sure. That's yeah, part of it. Process. Yeah. It's part of starting to respect through the Lord and respect the prophet he sent his Messiah, his son. But there's, there's common sense application of discipleship. This is what the entirety of what we just read from Timothy from first Timothy chapter four, Paul says to guard your life and your teaching to persevere in these things. This is your discipleship. So Timothy is actually an overseer of other people. He's discipling, right? And that's why it says to conduct yourself in faith and purity and love and speech and then persevere in these things and wa watch your life and your teaching. Right. right. That's actions. Right. And he says, if you do this, you'll save yourself and those who hear you, those you're teaching. Right. So that's really, really important that we understand that there there's this weird. Um, yeah. Just guys, just uh, we we understand we, we understand there's going to be people triggered in the live chat today. I don't personally understand people who are on our Shabbat chat watching us. If you're so bothered by us encouraging people to keep the commandments of the Father, like I so just what, I don't understand. We just want to encourage. We understand that many people. This may be the first time you've heard this, or you've grown up just like we did. Well, just like I did, in very traditional modern Christian teachings and churches where they tell you, uh, you can never earn your salvation. It's by works alone. We're going to read some other verses here that kind of counter those, those blanket statements with a little more clarity. And, um, but then at the same time, that same pastor that says to you that they'll also say, get out of the bars. Yeah. They'll tell you stop, to repent. Hang on. Me, hang on I get you. They'll say, get out of the bars, stop doing <laughs> drugs. We've got a celebrate recovery class here at the church. Every Tuesday night, you should come so you can work on your addictions you should stop. Uh, if you're in adultery, stop fornicating. They'll tell you if you're not married and you're, and you're having sex, you should stop fornicating. 
they should tell you that, you know, if you're, they'll, they'll talk about repentance and say that we, like, if sometimes they'll ask you to leave the church, if you're found and convicted for a crime. Yeah. I see people getting letters from their churches because they're living with their boyfriend or girlfriend out of wedlock and saying, we, you can't be part of this church anymore. Yeah. So, you know, it, I just, I, I don't understand the trigger and the need to argue. Um, if we all agree that you cannot walk in willful sin and expect to enter the kingdom, why is this even a debate? Why, why is it a debate when we're, there's we're, a whole, we're getting over bad teachings when there's semantics. a whole chapter in James saying that faith know, without sorry. works is completely dead. That means you're not getting in the kingdom. If your faith is not producing works. That's right. That's right. How, I mean, how are you not throwing James out of the Bible? Because he's teaching some, some works-based salvation. You know, in the past, I think Martin Luther wanted to remove yeah. James from the Bible. Yeah, I know. Some do, right? Because they don't like that idea. They like the idea um, that um, that all you have to do is just confess Christ, and then you can go live however you want, right? So the common sense person, when they try to put the, they try to weed through the semantics and put these things together, they'll say, Oh yeah. Well, yeah, I agree. Yeah. I need to, um, I need to like, if I'm going to love God and love Jesus, I need to be like Jesus. And therefore Jesus died for my sins. So I should stop sinning. They think, but then when you try to go define, well, okay, well, what does that look like? Well, Jesus just told us to keep the commandments. I think just, we just need to time this person out because it's really distracting me that he wants to argue. Okay. You, you do. It's you're a moderator. Really, you're a moderator, sweetie. Just, just take a moment. All right, guys. Um, so, this is where we have more verses to go over because this is the, the fundamental concept of our discipleship. Just as we see Jesus is teaching this gentleman very, very clearly that if you, if you want to get eternal life, he, you're going to be judged on something, right? So yeah. just the, the general concept of storing up your treasures in heaven. This is what we just had on screen here. I'll put it back real quick. So as he says at the bottom of Matthew 19, verse 21, Go sell your possessions, give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. So that's Christ isn't saying, Oh, you're you're earning your salvation. Right. Because the judge is talking to this guy. Christ is the judge. He's right. the one that's going to judge this guy's soul and give him eternal life or not. He's the one that has to decide, all right, well, did you show that you're actually you're my disciple or not? So in no possible way, when we actually define what salvation is, where it's it's not the conversion, it's the resurrection. Then we understand these statements here where the Messiah who both accepts your conversion and resurrects you is the actual one who gives you the instructions on how to be his disciple. And he doesn't think that you're earning that resurrection because he knows that you can't actually accomplish the resurrection for yourself. You're trusting in faith that if you are his disciple and you persevere to the end, he will reward you with the promise of the covenant and that that standard of why yeshua can look at a person's life and say he who endures to the end will be saved is a precedent we see in the old testament on screen right now leviticus 18 4 and 5. you are to practice my judgments my statutes by walking in them i am yahweh your god keep my statutes and my judgments for the man who does these things will live by them i am the lord right. same thing with habakkuk 2 4 the righteous will live by faith, right? That living is not just the living in this mortal life. We're talking about the promise of the covenant because the mortal life is in verse five, in verse four, excuse me, 
to practicing the judgments and the statutes and walking in them. Right. That's the living part. So then what happens after you're done doing that and you die? That's the living part in verse five. Yeah, that's the eternal the life. The eternal part. life, right? And this is actually a verse, even though it's the word eternal is not put in there. Uh, in verse five, it's commonly accepted even by rabbinic Judaism. They understood this verse to be the promise of eternal life. So they come long time ago. They always understood, just like Abraham understood, that the promise of eternal life, like Paul tries to express in, in Romans 4, um, they all, from all the way from the beginning, the promise was if in this mortal life, you practice the commandments, you're following the covenant, you're showing the father and the son who becomes the judge, you're showing them that you want to do this behavior forever, because this is the same behavior that you're going to get on your hearts at the resurrection, right? the actual moment of salvation of eternal life. So if we go on and we see a little bit further here in Romans chapter two. So just as we had, um, and we get all the time in the comments all the time, we get very, very triggered people that just have catchphrases. They have bumper sticker phrases. They have little mantras that they re they're repeating from the church that they've heard them from, right? Yeah, they don't seem to listen to our actual responses to them. I know. But they never address our actual it's responses. It's okay, baby. It's all right. This is why we labor and we, we sow the word. Romans 2, Paul continues to address those out-of-context bumper, bumper sticker statements. Chapter 2 of Romans 6-13, through 13, Paul says, But because of your hard and unrepentant heart, you're storing up wrath against yourself for the day of wrath, when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. Now, remember what we just read in 2 Baruch, that if you sow into your heart the fruits of the law, it will protect you right. on this day that the mighty one shakes the whole creation. Right. That's the day of wrath. And if you harden and have an unrepentant heart, then you're not protected from the day of wrath. Right. Right. So when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. Right. Now, this letter is written to converted believers, right? That's right. Yeah. yeah. So he's warning these mm -hmm. converted believers who have accepted Christ and are trying to live the Christian life, he's warning them right, right here. that you can be storing up wrath against yourself. That's right. And if you're not doing what he's already defined as a repentant heart, right, which is doing the commandments of God. Chapter, verse 6, he says, God will repay each one according to his deeds. Are you earning your salvation? You know... Um, it's a it's a weird it's a semantic word it's a semantic it phrase is, right because people will want to say that the wicked are earning their punishment right right so the wicked can earn their punishment and the wrath that comes down upon them and they'll say you can earn your stored up treasures yeah, in heaven and those the wicked are judged based on their acts right. their works of wickedness a lot of people don't realize uh, some of the teachings of Martin Luther is where we get a lot of this carryover in this Protestant language right. of uh, it's got you know it's Jesus there's nothing you can do to earn your salvation. And a lot of a lot of very prominent preachers from the past, Jonathan Edwards, Tilly, people like that, they would they would be great orators and great preachers, but not always scripturally accurate. And it's actually what a lot of people don't realize is this faith without works concept, this grace alone thing is a hyper response to the Catholic Church and the Orthodox mm -hmm. Church, who actually do teach faith and works. Now, right. it's the works of their church. Right. It's the wrong works. It's the Eucharist. Just like and, Judaism. And, yeah. And right. communion and um, those kind of things. The sacraments, I should say. Um, but that's the thing. They, out of response to trying to tell the Catholic Church, you're wrong mm -hmm. in requiring all these works. Instead of going back to the works of the scriptures right. that we are told to do. Which is called get, the deeds of God. 
Right. right. We get all the way to this point in time where now it's grace alone by right. faith alone. And if you even suggest that someone has to do any kind of behavior to keep their salvation, uh, then you're, you're a heretic. Right. 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 <laughs> so we go on in verse eight or verse, <clears throat> verse seven, after God, after Paul repeats the phrase from Ecclesiastes, uh, Ecclesiastes, excuse me, Ecclesiastes, um, that says God will repay each one according to his deeds. I believe it's also in Psalms as well. He then goes on to say in verse seven to those who by perseverance, there's that, that word again to, to by perseverance, right? Not just a one time moment of confession, but by perseverance in what doing good, right? You're seeking glory, honor, and immortality. Mm -hmm. He will give eternal life. Yep. So right here, Paul, the apostle himself that everyone misquotes, that everyone loves to take out of context, yeah. is directly telling you, continue to do what's good. And that's defined for us as the commandments all through scripture. You will get glory, honor, immortality, eternal life. Yep. Okay. So this is a very clear connection to what Baruch shouts, to what Leviticus shouts, to what Ezekiel 18 shouts, to what Yeshua himself, the master teacher taught, right? You want eternal lives to keep the commandments. That means do good, right? Yeah. So verse eight, but for those who are self-seeking, who reject the truth and follow wickedness, there will be wrath and anger. Yeah. So that's people who reject his commandments, <laughs> follow yes. behaviors that are opposite of them. Yes. So there will be trouble and distress for every human being who does evil, first for the Jew and then the Greek. But there will be glory, honor, and peace for everyone who does good, first for the Jew, then the Greek. Sounds great. Yeah. Right? It sounds like, sounds like an amazing promise to, to, so you can know exactly if you're on the right path. Right. Am I being in discipleship with Christ? I got to do the commandments. Doesn't that first John chapter two, three through six says too, right? Yeah. You know, you want to love God, you do the commandments. Verse uh, 11 says, for God does not show favoritism. So to, does that mean that modern Christians who say, oh, I'm saved by faith in Christ and I don't have to do anything. But yet he told people for thousands of years in the old Testament, I want you to follow my commandments and you'd be set apart holy and I'll give you eternal life. They don't Would he be showing favoritism now? To change the Absolutely. game? Absolutely. He'd be showing partiality. They don't okay. seem to understand that that mindset right. directly a, that bad teaching. puts God in the place of right. someone who shows partiality. Right. So that just like we opened up with Paul encouraging Timothy to guard, <coughs> to guard your life and your teaching. So if we're addressing a bad teaching that affects discipleship, which is our life. Right. Thankfully, we have lots of other confirming witnesses in scripture. Paul, verse 11, God does not show favoritism. All who sin apart from the law will also perish apart from the law. All who sin under the law will be judged by the law. And he doesn't he doesn't add a caveat of unless they've confessed Jesus Christ, then That's they're right. good. Right. Then they can sin and it doesn't matter. Right. For it's not the hearers of the law who are righteous before God, but it's the doers of the law who will be present future tense, who be will what? be declared righteous. The, the what of the law? The doers. The doers of the law. Man, I really wish I'd have prepared that. Um, I wish I had prepared that that um, that gif, you know, where Marky Mark Wahlberg is in that movie about it's called like Pumped or something, where he's at bus money bustle. Don't ask me about movie references. He's like a bodybuilder <laughs> and he's all muscled up and he's he constantly shouts throughout the movie. I'm a doer. I'm a doer. <laughs> I don't. I don't know the movie. <laughs> yeah, it's it's pretty hilarious. I think. Tell me in the live chat if you guys remember the name of that movie. I think um, The Rock was in it and uh, Mark Wahlberg, and they were like bodybuilders and they're getting in all kinds of trouble. And uh, he and Mark Wahlberg would just be like, I'm a doer. Yeah. So anyway, be a doer of the word, right? Be a doer of God's word. 
because why he promises you will be declared righteous. Oh yeah. Thanks coach AJ. It's called pain and gain. And <laughs> <laughs> it's pretty hilarious. He's I'm a doer. Um, <laughs> so yeah, be a doer, right? That's what we want. Be a doer of the law because this is what we're told directly is what we're evaluated off of as a disciple of Christ to get to the eternal life promise. Yeah. Right. So it's so blatantly clear in these verses that it breaks my heart to see modern pastors teach against these things. We have one more verse here in first Enoch chapter five, seven through nine. Now for everyone uh, wondering in the chat here, this is from my first Enoch compilation where I took some of the, uh, in, in the RH Charles translation in, ch in verse seven of chapter five, it has uh, three different translations okay. for verse seven. So I have all three here. Okay. Um, it says, but for the elect, there should be light and joy and peace. They shall inherit the earth. And for you, the godless, there shall be a curse. So, and in verse eight, it says, then there shall be bestowed upon the elect wisdom. That's the commandments mm -hmm. according to Proverbs eight and a whole bunch of other places. And they shall all live and never sin again, either through ungodliness or through pride. But they who are wise shall be humble. So now it's equating not sinning to actually being humble. Right. So we know that sinning is the transgression of the law. Yeah. First John 3, 2. <clears throat> Verse 9 says, they shall not again transgress. Oh, look at that. So even back in the days of Enoch, the, the prophet that Jude mentions in Jude 1, 14, this prophet way back then even knew what transgression of the law was. Right. He knew the standard for discipleship for all mankind. He says, nor shall they sin all the days of their life, nor shall they die of the divine anger or wrath, but they shall complete the number of the days of their life. Their life shall be increased in peace. The years of their joy shall be multiplied in eternal gladness and peace all the days of their life. This is the promise of the resurrection. That's people that inherit the earth and get light and joy and peace and are bestowed wisdom upon them. This is the promise of the resurrection. Right. And at that point, we're not going to transgress the law. We'll be considered absolutely humble. Yeah, this will be after the resurrection. This is a, this is right. this is a promise of the resurrection and we live forever obviously that's the immortality Paul's talking about in yeah. Romans 2:7. So there's a direct correlation between the expectation of discipleship <laughs> which is to keep the commandments that stores up treasures in heaven that assures you the preservation promise that leads to <laughs> eternal life. We can talk about the preservation moments I guess at another time because that's <coughs> Sheol <laughs> yeah um that's even talked about in baruch and, and romans other places where paul talks about but you will preserve your soul you'll you'll save yourself um or in yahweh promises baruch he says at one point don't worry i will preserve you for the resurrection right and then he goes to sheol right to be preserved yeah for the resurrection right so this is it's almost as if the term saved was being used to say which side of sheol you go to yes because at that time they weren't teaching that you're literally born again the moment you That's come right. to faith and join the covenant they understood that being born again was a literal moment in time where you're literally reborn from the grave and given your new body that's right so so where do we get where do we get this idea that when we die we don't wait for the resurrection but we go straight to heaven uh well catholicism catholicism right yeah and now the protestants have carried it over continue to teach that idea very very prominent in Southern Baptist congregations, which have dominated the narrative from for about a hundred years now. Yeah, and a lot of them will use the verse about um, the graves opening up 
Uh, yeah. Was it as, at his resurrection or his crucifixion? At Matthew 27. Was that his resurrection? His, his resurrection. Okay. Yeshua's resurrection. Yeah. Even though no scripture anywhere says that they ascended up into heaven, it just says that they walked through the holy city, which would have been Jerusalem at the time. Right. Um, the Catholic Church, if you talk about this with a Catholic, they will use that verse to say, oh, look, everything changed with his resurrection. Now, instead of everyone going to Sheol, because that's the crazy thing. They'll acknowledge that for most of scripture, it says you go to Sheol to await the resurrection. Then they insist this moment of this random resurrection at the time that he was resurrected. All of those people, that was everyone, every righteous person in Sheol, they all came up and then they ascended up to heaven with Yeshua. But there's no there's no verse that says that they ascended no. up to heaven with Yeshua. Because that's not the timing of the actual first resurrection. Right. Um, those are just normal resurrections, kind of like Lazarus. So this is where... Um, it's very important as believers in Christ to have a clear-cut doctrine that Paul tries to express to Timothy. And that, and without going through the entire first three chapters of Timothy today, if you go in there, not just all of Paul's letters, but in the first three chapters of Timothy, he's teaching the law of God emphatically right. and reminding Timothy, this is what we're to be teaching. This is sound doctrine, right? Uh, especially chapter 1, verses uh, 7 through 11. He's directly telling, like, Anything that's contrary to all this stuff, and he lists out a whole bunch of stuff in the Old Testament, he goes, that's against sound doctrine. Don't teach that, right? And then he goes on to explain in verse 4, chapter 4, that preserve in this teaching that I just told you. And and I think it's in um, 1 Timothy 3. Uh, Ken Heidebrecht, our brother from hanging on his words, he, um, he found that one of the Greek translations of 1 Timothy 3.16, it directly tells you to keep the commandments of God. Right. Um, I have to see if I can find that real quick. But... Uh, because it's, it's pretty interesting. I can't remember if it was a Byzantine text or which text it was, but uh, it's, it's, it's pretty cool. Um, or maybe it's four, chapter four. Maybe it's not any of those, and it's in chapter six, because I was not thinking to remember exactly the chapter it is. Yeah, so it's First uh, Timothy 6, 14. Um, some of the Greek translations of that say, keep the commandments of God without stain or reproach until the appearance of our Lord Jesus. Some of the some of the other translations will say, keep this commandment without stain or reproach. Right? But then you look in the, the word for the in the in the Hebrew in the Greek word is can be for this or it can be a pronoun yeah. that possess a pronoun or it can be an article. It depends on the decision of the interpreter, yeah. right? So yeah, that's where it gets kind of get kind of fuzzy. But yeah, check out all check out alternative translations of First Timothy six fourteen. Paul's telling you keep the commandments of God. I mean, if you need to hear that word, if you if you don't know the Old Testament well enough to realize that everything Paul is teaching matches the law of God, and you need just someone to you just need Paul to tell you uh, that we should keep the law of God. You, well, you've got uh, Romans chapter eight. The passage you just read was very yeah, I know. clear. I know I it was know. very clear. I know, but you also got Romans chapter eight uh, verses five through eight, where he directly says if you're walking <laughs> in the Spirit you will subject yourself to the law of God. Right. If you're walking in the flesh, you will not subject yourself to the law of God. So it's very simple, very simple. We want to walk in the spirit. Yeah. Our Messiah kept the law of God. He showed us how to live. He was perfect. We're also going to be doing his behavior. He taught us to keep the law of God. It's a part of our discipleship. 
And it is the thing that he looks at us and says, do they really want eternal life? Because because the only promise for eternal life is I'm going to get the law of God in your hearts. Right. There is no there is no <laughs> eternal life. Forever. Yeah, there is no offer from the creator to get eternal life and not do the Sabbath and not do feast days and not eat clean and not actually do the law of God. Yeah. Right. He's not going to resurrect people and say, oh, it's OK for you to murder now. It's OK for you to steal from others or covet or kidnap or slave trade. It's, he's not going to he's he's already told everyone in all of creation through his revelation. This is the behavior that I do. And this is the behavior I'm going to give you at the resurrection. So if you want eternal life and you want to live with me and my son in our house forever, this is the behavior I will put on your new heart at the resurrection. It's very clear. And if this behavior has zero bearing on us actually entering the kingdom when that time comes, <clears throat> there's no reason for all of the authors of scripture to admonish us to follow this behavior. Right. There's no reason for Paul to warn believers, active believers who have said with their mouth and believed in their heart that Christ is Lord. There's no reason for him to warn them that they could be storing up wrath against themselves if they're walking in sin. Right. <laughs> Why warn anybody? Why tell anybody to repent? Why read any of the scriptures? Why learn any of the father's ways if walking in them has zero bearing on us actually making it to his kingdom? Why would Yeshua say we have to be found worthy to take part of the resurrection? What does that mean? If not our behavior and what we're doing, the fruits that we're producing so <sighs> i guess today wasn't the day for me <laughs> to have so, someone want to nitpick and argue well they're, they're always out there sweetie. i mean That's just imagine sitting in a church and having a teacher I teaching know, at the front of the church and some guy just standing up and being like hey you're wrong and here's why i mean people don't do this stuff <laughs> in person Okay, I, I got you, baby. I got you. I got you. All right, let's 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 reel it in. Hey, I'm human. Yep. I get <laughs> Sometimes it. I get, I get really it. annoyed. This is this is why I don't show you all the comments that we get. So that's why I don't read through our comments. Yeah. So we uh at this time we just hope to encourage you so that if you're out there, if you're wondering about what it means to follow Christ, if you're already a part of this walk and you've heard a lot of contradictory or conflicting teachings from other churches about what it truly means to follow Christ. When you get up every day and you say, well, what do I do today? Right. Like, I want to follow Christ, but what do I do today? Right. I do not recommend listening to Jesse Duplantis to tell you, ask God what shirt color you're supposed to wear today. No, you've got it written down in this book. It's abundant. It's everywhere. It's the commandments. They're laid out for you on how to love others, how to be patient, long suffering and merciful, how to turn the other cheek in certain circumstances, but in other circumstances, you need to be as bold and righteous as a lion and defend the truth. Teach it as he encouraged, as Paul encourages Timothy to, to be consistent and steadfast in your faith, your purity, your love, your teachings. That means you're going to have to address those who don't understand from time to time and who have really antagonistic attitudes while they're not understanding. This is a part of it. It truly is, unfortunately. Um, but it's also what the priests of God were instructed to do in Malachi 2.7. They were to have true instruction on their lip, and they were to be able to go, to warn, to reprimand, to encourage, to lift up, to teach others. What does Proverbs 25 mean? What is Leviticus 17 all about when it says don't drink blood? What, what, is, what are all these things for? Passover's coming up. Why is it called an eternal command? Why am I doing Passover? <coughs> because it, 
Paul tells us Yeshua is our Passover lamb, right? Mm -hmm. So if that's a wonderful metaphor of our Messiah, it might be important for me to learn the significance of why we're observed to practice Passover as an eternal feast. So I think it's very important for us. If you want direction, it's definitely in the book. But unfortunately, the enemies come through over time and they've convinced through bad arguments and vain philosophy, they've convinced pastors that, oh yeah, all you have to do is believe in Christ, but don't worry about all the stuff it says to be his disciple. Just believe in him and you're good. And then come to church every day and be an usher. Make sure you tithe, uh, help out when we need, when we need to do any building projects and uh, support our church. And if you don't, if you agree with, disagree with anything we say, we're going to oust you, but we want you to be here and uh, support what we say, whether it's correct in the scriptures or not. And whether you give it like that's, unfortunately, that's what a lot of churches have become preaching very unsound doctrines, creating a club of personalities that are dedicated to the personality of the pastor versus the principles that are universally laid out for all disciples of Christ in the scriptures and teaching, admonishing, and practicing those. Now, I'm not throwing a blanket condemnation on all churches. There's no. some churches that are very good, some small fellowships, some larger, but the dominant, the most dominant form of Christian churches in the United States, they teach a very unscriptural uh version of discipleship they teach lip service to believe in christ and then you don't have to do anything else i would say they don't even teach any kind of discipleship they don't even that word has lost all meaning and use i mean when i first received the spirit and started to feel like oh i should go to church because i want to learn right what this book says and how i'm supposed to follow it because guess what as a new ager an unbeliever i mean of all my own rules i followed any kind of universal law I found that sounded good that, you know, oh, this law of attraction. Oh, I can just manifest my reality. Oh, I like the sound of that. You know, I would follow just anything. I was just, you know, anything that fit with my worldview. And when I came to Christ, I realized, oh, he's got a roadmap for me. And I don't want to veer off that roadmap. I want to do things the way he says, because I was wrong all this time. <laughs> and right. if he's right, I want to follow what's right. I start going to church, zero discipleship, zero discipleship. And this yeah. was a small, I love all these people. And I wish they hadn't felt the need to kind of erase me from existence once I started keeping the Sabbath, but very nice people, but ha they had no understanding that discipleship is, is far more than just showing up for Sunday school. Right. Everybody sits in the pews. One guy is standing at the front. He reads the passage that we're studying that day, closes the Bible, puts it down, immediately picks up a commentary, opens the commentary and starts reading what everything we just read is supposed to mean based on this random commentary. Right. May as well be a Mishnah. I mean, I was the only person there that started asking questions and pointing things out and being like, hey, did you guys notice this Genesis 6 thing? And all these interesting mm -hmm. things I was because I was reading the scriptures on my own at home and there's no, no feedback. No, it was all, you could tell everyone was very uncomfortable because these are things we don't, these are things we don't talk about in church. Like this guy's teaching, he's reading the commentary. We just listen to the commentary. Then we sing our songs. Then the pastor comes in and does his sermon and boom, we're done. And that was it. There was no one showing me how to walk this faith walk. And because they've all been taught that 
you don't have to worry about those things. There's no, you don't really have to, oh, of course, in theory, we follow the commandments. I mean, yes, the nine commandments are wonderful. You know, we, we follow well, all nine of those. That's what we, um, that's what we see when I'm interviewing pastors. Yeah. Right? Like for example, um, although he's not, I don't know if he's an actual pastor, he's a professor. Um, I can't remember if he's an actual pastor too, but the doctor, uh, professor Solberg that I had on a few months ago, <coughs> right. When I asked him, I said, how many times do we have to see the patriarchs doing the law of God before we call it the law of God? Right. So in the same regard, as we're reading the new Testament, how many times do I have to see Paul explaining and teaching the law of God right. before we call it the law of God? It, it, who's, who's convinced disciples of Christ that the instructions called the law of God, the instructions, that's what the word law means from the creator to you <laughs> is somehow bad and a burden and, and demonizes that idea that that's a satanic concept. Like that's not yeah. a scriptural thing. Yeshua kept them and taught us to keep them. Yeah. And the other thing about that word discipleship, because it has no meaning in the church today, they don't realize the root of that word is discipline. That's right. So if you're being discipled, you're being taught discipline, discipline in what? In his ways and walking according to the commandments. You know, I was watching your Brave Believer podcast last night. Yeah. And it was so sad to watch an, an a, a vowed atheist unwittingly. This guy didn't realize he, he was teaching the pastor scripture when he was challenging the pastor about the verse about when Yeshua says, if you want to enter life, keep That's commandments. Right. He, he was reading Matthew 19 and, <laughs> and asking about it. he's saying yeah. to the pastor, well, how do you prove, basically he's saying, how do you prove that you're a Christian, that you're on That's this right. walk? And the pastor has no clue how to I know. answer it. Oh, I just say I'm a Christian. And the atheist wasn't using the word fruit, but he was saying you're supposed to produce fruit. If you're married, how do you prove to me that you're married? It's the fruit of That's you right. say you're married, you go, you do the ceremony, you go and get the license, you live together, you have children, you build a life together, you defend your wife in public, you act like a married man, That's right. you produce fruit. Yeah, you, you and your husband would walk in the same doctrine. You would walk in the same life goals and teachings, right? right. That's how you know that you're a couple, that you're in agreement with each other, right. that you're walking alongside each other in love. And that is the obvious fruit that people can see that, oh, you're unified. Right. So if the creator of heaven and earth says, here's my commandments, this is my moral behavior. And you fleshly human as you are comes up and says, yeah, yeah, that's cool and all, but I'm just going to believe in your son and I'm not going to do any of this stuff. And you're like, then you're not walking in unison with the creator of heaven and earth yeah. and what he does, nor what his son did. Um, you know, just, you cannot just believe in God and not do the behavior of God. That's that simple. So, this is where people have been taught some really bad, bad bumper sticker phrases yeah. to say that, oh, you're adding to the gospel. Like, the, like we, like we've seen today, right? You're, they'll say, well, you're adding to the finished work of Christ. And yeah. you're like, I'm like, are, where are you even getting this finished Well, For me, from? if you're going to tell me that I'm adding to the gospel, I would like you to actually explain to me what you think the gospel is because right. all, none of those people say, what the scriptures say that the gospel is the good news of the coming kingdom and our resurrection unto eternal life therein where we the, keep the commandments in the kingdom. Exactly. Yeah. The gospel is not just Yeshua coming, dying and being raised again. The story mm -hmm. doesn't end there. He's coming back and he's bringing the whole kingdom down to the earth with him. We inherit the earth. I, I just, 
I know this is why we started. <laughs> I can't channel, take right? you seriously if you're going to tell me I'm adding to the gospel, but your version of the gospel doesn't include anything about the kingdom and the resurrection and us enduring to the point of getting there. And Yeshua saying we have to be found worthy to get there and storing up treasures in that place through our good works on this side of the resurrection. Yep. I just can't take you seriously. I know it's a lot of bad doctrine out there. There's a lot of, we see them all the time in our debates. We see them in the comments. We see that uh, consistently Yeah. every day I wake up every morning. <coughs> He's the, built for it. Guys. By the time I get <laughs> I'm not to, built for by it. the time I get to YouTube, I see 10 to 15 comments on why I'm a heretic, why we're teaching some sort of workspace salvation, why they're quoting verses out of context to show, yeah. to try to rebut something I've said in a video. Um, and they just, people it's amazing how many supposed christians and i have to i have to believe that these are actual people and not just bots right but supposed christians are adamantly against the behavior of christ yeah so what's so funny is you've heard me and seen me through through interactions with preachers that are interviewed and i'll say well you would agree that it's not okay to murder and that it's not okay to commit adultery and that it's not okay to worship idols and they'll say well yes 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 of course Right. I say, okay, well, that's the law of God. So let's do that. And they're like, no, no, I'm not under the curse. And you're or, like, wait, wait a minute. What are you talking about? They start parceling out the law of God and say, oh, well, no, those are moral commandments. As if God gave commandments that aren't moral. I'm like, he's the author of morality. He's the one that decides what's right and wrong. Right. Every single command he gives is a moral commandment. <laughs> There's no nowhere in scripture that says, oh, well, this is all just ceremonial, including the Sabbath day. I'm like, it's one thing. I can, to a certain extent, understand the confusion about unclean things and the feast days without having a tabernacle on the earth. But the fact that people take the Sabbath itself, which is part of the Ten Commandments, and say, oh, that's just that was just ceremonial. That was just for ritual times. Just I don't, and I don't know what they mean by ceremonial. I mean, apparently that just means temporary. Um, but yeah, so wait, the, wait, wait. The, the command to not do anything is somehow ceremonial. The command to refrain from work and rest in the Lord one day a week is somehow ceremonial, which, again, that uh, they just redefine the word ceremonial right, to right. mean not relevant or temporary. And this is, this is what we've talked about for five years on our channel, is that these bad doctrines come from a persistent intent to redefine words. Yeah. They do not like the words that are in the book already, so they must redefine them. <laughs> They try to redefine them in order to make them fit their preconceived ideas. Yep. They do the same thing with cosmology. When they read the word firmaments, they say, well, right. it must just mean uh, the, the, the sky. That's just the atmosphere. And you're like, that's not what the word means. Oh, the that's, Bible's not a science book. It's right? not its definition. And so, you know, that's, that's this is the enemy's trick since time began yeah. is to get people to stop believing what it actually says according to its definitions and redefine it. And this is the part that is, uh, as someone that loves writing and loves words and loves reading, it's infuriating to me right. because I'm sitting there going, uh, that's not what these words mean. Like, I don't want to turn into the princess bride meme, but, the, but that's what it becomes. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, I, you keep using that word. I don't think it means what yeah. you think it means. Like you, you keep saying that uh, you're, you're saved by faith through works and or by, by grace through faith. But the whole concept of faith is that you are doing something as a disciple of Christ. Right. Um, and the whole idea of grace is it's, it's the word for favor. And you get favor because your Messiah is doing the law on your behalf in heaven in a temple so that you can have grace. He's mediating for you when you make a mistake. So this is how you get to the point of atonement unto the resurrection. And, and it's through faith. 
that means you are believing for what's coming. And while you're believing, you're actively behaving according to the discipleship standard of Christ. It, it just blows me away. Like even little statements like that, they don't even know what the words mean. And they just repeated it over and over and over because they had a, you know, they had a pastor they heard arguing against Judaism. Right. Which Judaism says, no, you've got to do these things before you can be saved. And they're not, they're not saying, and they of course reject Christ. Yeah. That's, that's the biggest issue. issue. They reject yeah. the prophet and priest that was sent for their salvation. We don't, we just say our yeah. prophet and priest that was sent for my salvation told me how to get to that point on how he's going to judge me for my salvation. And we're judged off every word indeed. So that's a, that's the biggest part that we just want to lovingly remind everybody. It, <coughs> you don't, like we encourage, we thank you for for watching these shows. We thank you for for following us along in the, in our journey through life as we talk about Christ and hopefully teach people a little better understanding of the word. But at the same time, it's as easy as you can open the Bible and read these words for yourself if you just take a moment, take a breath, and stop trying to redefine them, and just look at what's actually being said. The words are already all there in front of us, Old and New Testament. It's it's repletely filled with the same message. So. We hope that's an encouragement to you. Yeah, we want to open it up for questions. Now, please put your questions in all capital letters so it's easier for us to see them in the chat. And again, if we don't get to your question, don't assume that we're skipping it on purpose. We just don't. We It's literally humanly impossible to answer every single question that comes up in these chats. While we're waiting for questions to pop up, I did just want to add the definition of salvation and being saved is also something that gets changed and obfuscated. So yeah. Just for clarification, for the person in the chat who's saying, oh, well, you have to get saved over and over and over again. Be getting saved, we use that as like a colloqui colloquial term to refer to the, the moment in our lives where we convert to the faith and we receive a gift of the spirit. We profess belief in Christ. But that's not the literal meaning of salvation and being saved. What are we saved from? Sin and death. How are we saved from sin and death via the resurrection, the physical, literal resurrection where we are physically pulled from the grave. We're given new real bodies that we're going to live in. And what happens with those bodies? The law is put on our hearts so we never sin again. So you can say the moment I was saved, I use that term frequently to talk about my conversion moment. But I also know that those who endure to the end will be saved because the actual literal moment of salvation comes with the resurrection. So, no, you're not getting saved over and over and over again when you're trying to, I don't know what you think, trying to keep the commandments. You're repenting. If you, none of us are perfect. We go through this life and it's a process. We practice these things. The whole reason we have a high priest is for when we mess up. He's there to mediate atonement for us. That's repentance that we do throughout our walk through the rest of our lives. It's not having a conversion moment over and over and over again. And the people who have those conversion moments over and over and over again, we've, a lot of us have seen them going up for multiple altar calls. I'd say maybe there's an issue there with, are they really receiving the spirit when they do their altar calls and things like that? Is that just lip service? Are they not really being taught in church? What salvation is, what this, you know, the deposit of the spirit is for the fact that the spirit is supposed to convict you of sin. So it's repentance. It's not getting saved over and over again because getting saved literally the happens when we were resurrected. Right. So. Okay. Which is, <clears throat> yeah. 
which is, please, you know, if you're just new here, rewind to where we read the, the verses where we, we talked about these things with verses on screen uh, to show you from clear wording that there is a moment in the future where you're preserved to the point where mm -hmm. you will be resurrected. Yeah. Um, so, and also I'd encourage you to read First Timothy. It talks about it in great depth as well. So uh, we had a few questions coming in. Juan Gonzalez, he's asking, how do you honor your mother and father when they um, are not honorable? Well, it's up. It's there's a, a general admonition to look after their care and well-being. Okay, so I understand sometimes our parents are not of the same faith. They have very different actions, and it's hard to honor them. But if they will allow you, because sometimes they create the walls and separate from you because of their destructive unscriptural behavior. But if they will allow you, I would say to continue to honor them by being prepared to provide for what needs they may have as they get older, regardless of whether or not they are of the same faith as you. So that is an ideal situation, not always possible because unfortunately, like Jesus said, he uh, his words divide families sometimes, right? Mother against father, daughter against son, <laughs> I said that wrong. Mother against daughter, father against son. Um, and so sometimes there's a division there because the unbelieving parents um, are not comfortable interacting with the children in the same capacity and they won't let them provide for yeah. them anymore. But I would say let that be the status of your heart to be prepared to provide for what physical needs they may have as they get older, if they will allow you. And of course, continue to pray for them at the same time. That was the entire topic of our Q&A last week. So It was, but we didn't, this particular question we didn't address in that one. So I want to address it today. Huh. I think we went over all those scenarios. So if you'd like more in-depth discussion about, you know, dealing with. Was it with, two weeks ago? I thought it was last week. No. No? No. I don't what remember exactly. last week? Uh, I don't think it was mothers and fathers, but either way. All right, we got another question here from Carrie M. If we are not together again before Passover next week, have a blessed Passover. Thanks for pouring into us. Yeah, thanks, Carrie. I appreciate that. Hope you have a good Passover. Uh, Sulala, am I saying this right? Carlala, uh, Sulala. Any advice for wives whose husbands are resistant, refusing the Torah? The struggle is real. Uh, well, yes. I mean, the advice is is to um, continue to pray for them. Uh, place them, you know, at the feet of the father. And, and we also have family members, immediate family members that, um, are not, uh, are not believers and it hurts our hearts as well. And so I know it's a very difficult situation with husbands and wives in the same house. And, um, maybe, maybe they're not even entertaining your feeling of going into a deeper discipleship with Christ by the applicability of the whole law, but they're being resistant and uh, sometimes uh, trying to sabotage your efforts. We've heard stories like that from people that write to us and talk about um, husbands who are antagonistic against the wife, trying to adopt her life to the discipleship of Christ and they're resistant. So as long as it doesn't turn physical, I would say, unfortunately, just keep praying for him, keep being loving and gentle with him. Okay. Not, not catty, not manipulative, not backbiting, just being loving and gentle with him. I'm not saying that you are like that. I'm just throwing that out there. 
because he needs to see the love pouring out of you, that this is something that is creating love in you and not creating a religious spirit of, well, I'm, I'm doing this because I'm better than you, right? He needs to see that this is the outpouring of love. And so I would encourage those two things, prayer and a gentle spirit as you practice these things. What say you, sweetie? Um, yeah, I would say just try not to force anything on him. Just walk out your faith, you know, as much as you're able to in that kind of a situation. And I would take the attitude towards him of, you know, hey, if this is not your thing, that's cool. You're not offending me. This is my walk, though. This is how I'm going to walk this out. And this is how we'll do things. You know, I'm going to keep the Sabbath. And if you want to go to a movie on the Sabbath, do what you got to do. I'm, I'm going to stay here because for me, it's the Sabbath. Um, that's how I, that's how I handled a really angry, unbelieving friend when I first became a Christian and he wanted to come on my posts and just rail on Jesus and the Bible. And I was just very, um, I gave him room to be who he was and I was understanding. And I told him, Hey man, I understand where you're coming from. Cause I, you know, I, was an unbeliever my whole life. I was a new ager. I hated God in the Bible. So, you know, I'm, I'm sorry that I can't really impart to you the understanding of how I could have this supernatural conversion and come to these beliefs. But, you know, I fully get where you're coming from. I acknowledge it. I just don't agree anymore. And like five years later, he ended up getting baptized and inviting us to come to his baptism because I never pushed upon him. Oh, you're, you're in sin and you need to repent. He, those words don't mean anything to an unbeliever. They really don't. I just lived my life by example. And he told me that me just living that example and just living my faith unashamedly inspired him and gave him a different view of what he always perceived about Christians and, oh, they're holy, self-righteous, holier than thou attitudes and all that stuff. I didn't present that to him. I was very understanding and acknowledging his position and acknowledging that we disagree on this and that's okay. So that would be the attitude I would encourage you to have towards your husband. <clears throat> PS is asking, does, so does a non-believer go die, go to Sheol, get judged, then die forever? Yes, but let me explain a little bit deeper. Okay. Quickly. A non-believer, yes, goes to Sheol when they die to await resurrection. As we're explained in the book of Enoch, as well as Paul even mentions this in Acts 24, it's also in Revelation 20. There is a resurrection of both the righteous and the wicked. So those who do not get eternal life, they still get resurrected back to a normal body. They don't get a glorified body right. with the law of God on their heart that lives forever. They get <coughs> a normal body again to stand before Christ. There's not a bunch of ghosts floating in front of Christ that get judged and thrown in the lake of fire. Real, real bodies, the resurrected unrighteous stand before Christ to get judged. And then that's why in Matthew 10, 28, Yeshua tells us that both body and soul are destroyed in the lake of fire in Gehenna. And that's why there's a resurrection of the wicked so they can actually stand before him in a real body, their souls back into a real body they can coherently have a conversation with the judge and understand and perceive what's happening. And then both body and soul are destroyed forever in the actual lake of fire. So that's uh, hopefully a little bit better, clear explanation for, for you. Chris Collins is asking, why didn't John go in before Peter at the empty tomb? I have no idea. Wants me too slow. <laughs> I thought it was a race. 
What? Weren't they like racing each other to get to the tomb? I mean, there's like funny memes about it. Yeah, I don't, <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. Maybe, I don't know. Um, Stonewall is asking, is Genesis 49 relevant to today? This is a last day's prophecy about the 12 tribes in the last days. Um, question mark. I guess he's asking about it. Um, from my understanding of Genesis 49's personal ammunition from, from Jacob to his 12 sons um, about, you know, he gives a little bit of a, some, some people will view them as prophetic um, blessings to each of the sons, even though Simeon and Levi are grouped together. Right. Uh, Dan's called a lion's whelp. Um, Simeon and Levi are considered people that are, uh, you know, they're not given a very positive one. So I guess Stonewall, I guess what I would try to say to you is if you're trying to make some kind of prophecy about the last days, you're going to, it's going to require lots of interpretation because there's not direct wording that talks about their blessing over those 12 tribes as pertaining to any correlation of time qualifiers or events or eschatology. Um, if you want to infer that you have fun, do what you want to do, but just, we today just read lots of <laughs> last day's prophecies in the verses that we read that are very clear that start to give you qualifiers and timing and indicators and descriptions. Um, and you don't, it doesn't require a bunch of imposed interpretation because the text in Genesis 49 is pretty vague about the yeah. prophecies themselves as far as like what blessings are being spoken over each tribe. So again, that's why we don't, that's not one of our go-to chapters that right. we would use because it's not clear. It requires a lot of additional words from a man to make sense of it to the listener. We don't, we don't try to go for verses like that because it, we, there's many, there's hundreds of other verses that explain last days and prophecies leading up yeah. to that point. So if you haven't already, I encourage you to check out my investigating Babylon series and also my 40 ongoing 42 series. I go over those concepts and those verses, the eschatology leading into the last days. Hopefully it'll be a blessing to you. Yeah, if it doesn't give you the caveat of saying in the last days or on that great day, it, it, in that in the days and at that time, does it? it, it at the very beginning, at the very beginning, um, this is the it, oh, well, verse one. It says, in the, days, the to days to come, some versions say in the last days. Hmm. So it just depends on, you have to look at the context, but then it okay. goes on to give very, 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 very vague uh, blessings over the 12 tribes. Yeah. We actually covered this in a, in a tour portion we did yeah, in the past. We did. And we talked about this exact same thing yeah. and about how vague it was. And we tried to find other verses and other Old Testament prophets that might match up with it, but it's just super vague. So, all right. All right. Donna Porter is asking, um, what exactly was the rock that followed the Israelites in the wilderness? Paul said it was Christ. Bless you both. Okay. So uh, I think this is in First uh, Corinthians 6. I think it's in First Corinthians 6. Let me go try to go to it real quick. Um, well, we know there's an angel, exactly what the angel was. And Paul's not saying that it was Christ uh, was the angel because we're told who the angel is. Yeah. So let me go to the passage real quick. This is actually something that uh, I think I talked about with, with Solberg. We mentioned a, a few minutes ago. Um, or maybe it's in chapter three. All right, just one second, guys. Oh, I was wrong chapter altogether. Chapter 10. All right, so in ver I'll start with the verse one real, to give us some, some context here. He says, I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that our forefathers were all under the cloud and that they all passed through the sea. They were all baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. They all ate the same spiritual food, drank the same spiritual drink, for they drank from the spiritual rock that accompanied them, and that rock was Christ. Nevertheless, God was not pleased with most of them, for they were struck down in the wilderness. Okay. So th this is where people say, oh, see, look, the angel of the Lord, it must have been Christ. 
I feel like he's pretty clear about these being spiritual things. These are, these are this is a different, it's a metaphoric application yeah, because for one, they, um, this is, they're all baptized in Moses in the cloud and in the sea. Were they baptized in a cloud? No, no, okay. no, not technically. They all eat the same spiritual food and drink the same spiritual drink. What's the same, what's the, the spiritual drink? Exactly. I mean, if right? it's spiritual, well, then we're not talking about the physical water that came from the rock or exactly. the physical manna that came from heaven. And they drank, they drank from the spiritual rock that accompanied mm -hmm. them. Yeah. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. So it's not that the rock that followed them was Christ, but they drank from the spiritual rock that accompanied them, which is right. if Yeshua says, I'm the, the waters of, of life, right? Yeah. We see that waters of life uh, provided for their survival mm -hmm. when he, and he hit the rock and the water came out. Um, it's not time, sweetie. She's it's getting. It's not time. She's getting it's impatient. Um, and so this is this, basically this is where you know this this metaphoric application that we know that Christ is the Word that became flesh. Right. So the Word of God that came and commanded Moses to strike the rock, the Word of God that commanded the manna to fall from heaven, the Word of God that commanded them to walk through the sea, mm -hmm. the Word of God that you know what I'm saying that they would all say, well, look, it must have been a pre-incarnate Christ. That's not the application here. It was it was basically like saying, look, this is the same. The same word, the same instructions, the same faith that they follow those instructions of Yahweh. It's all the idea that we now are baptized in Christ, who's the word, who gives us instructions for righteousness and obedience, for salvation. But literally, I think the question, Donna, is, is being worded that the rock followed the Israelites. But that's not what it says. It says they drank from the spiritual rock, and this rock is Christ. We know that the angel followed them. This is what's told to us. Exodus, Leviticus, Judges, Jubilees. Uh, First Chronicles, Samuel, like it's the angel that was there that followed. It's even in Ezekiel chapter eight. It, the angel of the presence was there. Christ had not shown up on the earth yet. It was not his time. The fullness of time had not come for him to actually be revealed to mankind yet. So there's a prophecy about Christ, his first coming, and it wasn't for thousands of years before his first coming in Matthew. It was an angel that was assigned to them, which we we feel like it's the angel of Israel that's assigned to Israel, a bit of Michael, in my opinion. But uh, Discipleship Dialogues is asking for a prayer. Oh, I'm sorry, it's a prayer request. You guys, check out the prayer requests that are in the uh, in the live chat. Um, if they're on your heart, please pray for them. We ask people to put those in all caps as well. Tracy Jones is asking, does Scripture define putting away a spouse and or divorce as sin? Um, no. Well, the putting what, what away thing. What context are we talking here? Yeah, the putting away thing. It's not directly addressed in scripture in the Torah. It is that is something that Yeshua talked about because there was a difference between putting your wife away, which meant just separating from her without giving her a certificate of yeah. divorce. So, in my opinion, yes, that would fall in under the category of sin because you're then that's how you make that woman an adulterer if she tries to go get married to somebody else because right. you refuse to give her the certificate of divorce, but you won't be married to her basically, right. then she would legally be in adultery if she were to remarry. So it's not, it's not directly addressed in the five books of the Torah that we have. Um, but there's clear instructions for the proper way to go about a divorce in the Torah. So we know that divorce in and of itself is not a sin. So. Okay. Um, Thank you to our prospectors for the uh, super chat. You're asking a question here. Just watched your video about what day of the week Yeshua died. <clears throat> I thought the death penalty could not be given to someone on a high Sabbath. First day of the bread in this instance. Well, 
they, I mean, they slandered him, murdered him, accused him and killed yeah, him. Yeah, they weren't following the law. They, they killed him in unrighteousness anyway. So it didn't, yeah. they weren't following God's instructions for how to obey the Sabbath or the Passover or respect the prophets or so. Yeah. And it was the Romans who killed him. So he was killed under Roman yeah, law, by, not Torah law. Yeah, but he was, he was handed over to them by the high yeah, priests. I'm just saying. So the point is they weren't following Torah in any regard mm -hmm. anyway. And honestly, I don't remember, I don't remember that verse. Drop that Taurus Prospectors. If you want to drop that verse in the live chat um, to let me know exactly what you're basing this idea that capital punishment couldn't have been done on the first day of the of bread. Um, but regardless, even if that is a law that I've overlooked, it doesn't matter. The Pharisees weren't following the law. Yeah. Like they were, they were unjustly murdering Christ. Yeah. That would just be more proof right. that they weren't locking. Hey baby, I need you to, I need you to stop baby. No, 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 no. Okay. All right. So we'll try to take a few more here. Um, no, Lazarus is not walking around today. And that's another point about there's a difference in scripture between a resurrection into a mortal body, which was Lazarus, which was whoever the person was that fell on the bones uh, in the days of Elijah. Uh, and they were resurrected from falling on a prophet's bones. The people who were resurrected at Yeshua's resurrection, they were resurrected into mortal bodies. Right. The, the immortal body is only promised at the day of the Lord, the seventh trumpet, yes. the second coming of Christ. Yeah. That's your qualifier. I challenge you to study, study the scriptures along that qualifier. You'll see it's everywhere. It's abundant. It's the day where the mighty one shakes the whole creation right. in which you need to be protected. We've done great videos about this. Lots and lots of teachings on this, but check out our beginners playlist. Uh, we've done two videos on the first resurrection. I go into it in great depth, the natural resurrections back to normal bodies versus the first resurrection, which gives believers an immortal body. Right. Gen is asking, are the four horsemen metaphoric or literal? Well, it's talking about literal events that are going to be happening during the 42 months leading up to Christ, but it's spoken of in metaphoric descriptions. So it's, uh, there's not literally going to be a pale horse, um, you know, in my opinion. So, but it's, it's definitely talking about literal events that will transpire described in metaphoric description. Hopefully that's out for you. Um, Princess Elohim is asking a really fun question. <laughs> I don't know if, if she, you think Princess Elohim, are you talking about just like cleaning up around your house? Yeah, I would need a little more, um, a little more description for that question because I mean, I may, I'm, I don't think I've ever felt angry cleaning. No, I mean, I, my... how many, how many clothes did I fold this morning? <laughs> Yeah, I I might sometimes begrudge having to clean and feel like not doing it and like, uh, I just did the dishes yesterday. Now I have to do the dishes again today and then I know I'm going to do them again tomorrow. It, that kind of thing. But for me, if you're just talking about homemaking, um, I delight in it because it's, uh, you know, it's it's the job that the father gave me and it's part of how I serve my husband and support do, him and his work. So usually on Sabbath, I try to volunteer to do the dishes for her to try to help her out. Yeah. And I always try to do the folding of the laundry. She throws it in the, in the I am. Yeah. She, she throws it in the wash. I do all the I folding. I get it washed and into the basket. I do the folding, the sorting and the putting away. Right. Well, I put my own away, I, but he does fold it for us. Well, yeah, because I don't know where you. Yeah. He's, I've you got, got a, a system. system. He doesn't know my system. Um, <laughs> I at least leave it all ni nicely organized and folded on the bed for you. And then I try to, obviously we, you know, the yard work, the, the, uh, trash taking out. Yeah. We have uh, all that types of stuff. Duties. Like we, we, we trade off. So 
I guess, I don't know. I mean, maybe this is a joke question. I don't know, but maybe, maybe you truly struggle with not liking to clean. Hey, look, listen, when I grew up, my parents divorced. I had, then I had two houses I had to clean. My brother was already of an older age where he was, he was wrapped up in school and sports and activities. My sister was much younger. She couldn't do it. I was in this weird middle ground where I'm mowing the lawn at both houses. I'm doing the dishes. I'm doing dusting. I'm vacuuming. I'm folding the clothes at two houses when I come home from school before I can go out and play. So I, I get it. Promise you. I pro I promise you I get it. I've told her so many times, may the father increase us and pray the prayer of Jabet or whatever his name is. And may the father increase us that I can actually hire a maid to come in once a week in the future, or that I can have someone do the lawn continually for the rest of my life. Unless, dog poop, that would unless nice. we get our own homestead <laughs> and we start taking care of animals to be a little different. But the point is like, you know, I, this was not something I, I was forced to do this kind of stuff growing up. It wasn't fun and I don't enjoy it, but now I view it just as how I can serve my wife and my house to help her have less stress as much as I can when I'm in between all the things I'm trying to do. So it's still always a balancing act. And just, I would encourage you to ask the father to, you know, help you with a, a, a longer standing patience. Just yeah. To and do if, that. if it, you're angry when you're cleaning because you have a family and they're not doing their part to help, Get with the husband, teach him about the that kids. would yeah. be, yeah, that would be something to talk to your husband about and talk to your children about and really start being firm and having expectations that as a team, as a family, we do these things. You know, you you teach your children to put their own clothes in the hamper, you know, uh, pick their own toys up. When I was a, a young toddler and it was just me and my older sister and my mom back before she had two more kids and didn't have the patience to do these things. She used to sit with us in our room every day and item by item, teach us, pick that up and put it away and pick that up and put it away. And she made it part of our daily routine to clean up our own room. So, you know, creating habits in your children from the time that they're young. I mean, I don't even know if I really talked a whole lot yet. I was probably two or three and I was picking up my own toys and putting them in my toy box before bed at night just creating routine. So if you're angry because you're, you're building up resentment as you clean, because the people around you, you feel aren't doing anything. That's something to definitely communicate to the people around you and try to try to do something to change that. Um, Deanna's asking, how do you refute the doctrine of transubstantiation? Um, Is that the one where yeah. Jesus becomes the actual literal yeah. bread and the communion? He becomes actual bread and it's a, it's a magical mystical concept. Um, you re you refute it by basically just calling out the the Gnostic nonsense that it is, for one. It's not in Scripture. It's not commanded. Yeah. Um, he, we don't literally drink and eat the body and blood of Christ. Like, that is that is absolutely a, uh, that is a, what, third century? Uh, was that, were they were doing it back in second century already? I mean, they were doing communion at the Eucharist for a long time, but I don't know. They had to come to a conclusion on right. whether it was literally the blood and literally the flesh of Christ. So yeah, it probably would have been around third century that they started actually right. having it, councils about it. It was originally done as a metaphor. Right. <laughs> and then you have someone coming along going, trying to, trying to up the stakes and people are like, well, you know, this is just a metaphor. Why do I have to do this? And then some Bishop yeah. says, that's uh, wait a minute. How dare you say this is just a metaphor? This is really the blood of Christ. Yeah. You better do this because we're telling you to do this because we're your leaders. You know what I'm saying? Commanded not to drink blood and not to eat human flesh. Yeah. So I just I think it's just a dumb tradition that started over time as more and more unscriptural teachings were filling into 
Catholicism over time, more mysticism into the Eastern Orthodox Church. Yeah. And then you had them actually someone with the chutzpah to try to say, no, this this really is changing into the blood of Christ. And you're like, bro, that's that doesn't work like that. Yeah. And and even if it did, then we're breaking the command to yeah. drink blood. Literally the command in Acts 15. Yeah, the one that all these mainstream Christians want to say, oh, well, here's the four things we're supposed to do right. as new believers, which are all commands from Leviticus. Right. <laughs> They're all from straight from the Old Testament law that doesn't apply to us anymore. Yeah, so, yeah, we're... We're not commanded to eat or eat blood or, or cannibalize. Yeah, that would be the, the biggest re refutation is that uh, Jesus would not be commanding anyone to literally drink his blood or eat his flesh because those are directly forbidden in the Torah. So right. he has to be speaking metaphorically. In, in John 6, there's a mention of it and it says this is a hard teaching. So people left him as a result because he wasn't teaching to actually cannibalize himself. Right. He was talking about his teachings and his teachings being coming down from heaven. You have to read the entire chapter six of John chapter six. Yeah. Um, Reuben Searle is asking, what does it mean that God wants our firstborn sons? Well, the whole idea, just like with the firstborn animals that would be dedicated to the temple and you would pay, um, um, you would, you would pay to redeem them if you wanted to. Otherwise you had to give them to the temple for use by God and service. So it's not that you're not sacrificing them, right? You're giving them for service for work so that because God's house needed a lot of people to mm -hmm facilitate things there was chores to be done and there's yeah. upkeep and there's dispersion of goods to the animals poor to there's all kinds of there's husbandry of the animals you got to yeah. clean the stalls you got to make sure they're fed get, clean their hooves get them to the water there's a whole bunch of activities yeah. that the god that god's house actually needed people manpower mm -hmm. right so the firstborn was supposed to be dedicated to god but then you know there's a greater a greater involvement there of the priesthood taking over those jobs right. but then the people could still be dedicated to God. We see that in the story of Jephthah, yes. where he dedicates his daughter to service at the temple. Mm -hmm. Same thing with Hannah dedicates Samuel. Samuel. Yep. So it's um, it's just about giving to the service of God. That's all. Kind of like when he says, uh, bring me your first fruits. He's like, I mean that with everything. Yeah. That's why he says everything that comes out of the matrix, the first of the womb, both man and animals. Yeah. Like I, those are dedicate those to me. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? They're supposed to be special. Um, let's take one more. Okay. Okay. There's a lot today. Um, Stonewall, go to a video. You're asking, uh, we're going to take one more after this. You're, this is okay. a quick one. He's, he's asking most people in history never heard of Jesus. How can they be punished? Go to a video I did called just judgment. Type in the YouTube search bar, Kingdom in Context, Just Judgment. I go over all the scriptures in the Old Testament on how uh, people will be judged, even those who have never heard of Christ, and hopefully that blesses you, brother. All right. Um, let's find one more real quick. Um, someone earlier was asking about Romans uh, Romans 14. Here we have another person asking about Romans 14. And just to show that, brother, we care about you, even though we don't like the contentiousness in the live chat, We'll still give you the time of day and answer your question about Romans 14. You're curious. This is a wonderful passage that people take wildly out of context to try to say that we don't have to keep the law of God anymore, but we'll read it together and we'll talk about the, the first century custom of in arguments about fasting, because this is the context of okay. this passage. And so let me put this on screen real quick. So you're asking, please explain Romans 14, 5 through 10. Love to hear his response to the no, other no, passage no, from no, Romans no, we no, read. No, no, sweetie, no, no, we, we don't. I'm just making a point. 
Everyone okay. demands us to explain right. these things, but ignores the verses. So let's we take give a look them. at it. Let's take a look. Well, we're not we're not having him on for a debate, sweetie. This is why we're we're just gonna I'm just, review this real quick. I'm just mentioning it. I know what you're doing. All right, let me make it bigger so we can all read it. All right, so five through ten. One person regards a certain day above the others, while someone else considers every day alike. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. He who observes a special day does so to the Lord. He who eats does so to the Lord, for he gives thanks to God. And he who abstains does so to the Lord, for he gives thanks to God. It's your immediate context about what day is being considered mm -hmm. special or not. This is about a first century discussion on fasting, which is not commanded, which is why they had a disagreement on right. fasting. Some of them did it certain days of the week. Some of them did it more. Some did less. This is the context. This is not talking about the eternal feasts of God, which already have specific days outlined for you. Yeah. This is not these feasts of God are not up for debate. The Sabbath of the seventh day of the week is not up for debate. It's outlined for you. This debate that he's addressing here is about fasting amongst different sects of Christians in the first century. Verse seven says, for none of us live to himself alone. None of us dies to himself alone. If we live, we live to the Lord. If we die, we die to the Lord. So whether we live or die, we belong to the Lord. For this reason, Christ died and returned to life that he might be the Lord of both the dead and the living. Why then do you judge your brother? Why do you belittle your brother? For we will all stand before God's judgment seat. Because the argument in that time was people who disagreed on which day to fast would then condemn the others mm -hmm. on who's fasting and who's not fasting. So it's a very, very simple explanation, my brother. And I hope that you continue to research some of the uh, theological disagreements that were going on during the first century AD. They're recorded for us, um, both with how the Sadducees disagreed with certain things, the Pharisees disagreed with things, the Ebionites, all the different sects that were around there, they disagreed in certain veins. They had certain little peculiar doctrines they held on to, and some of them became very condemning of others who didn't agree with those. We see this in the modernity with people, how they pronounce the name of Christ. Yeah. People, people come in my comments all the time. Why do you say Yeshua and not Yahawashi? People come into my comments all the time. Why do you follow the Zadok calendar and not the Luni solar calendar? People come in all the time and they'll say, you're going to hell because you're adding to the gospel and the finished work of Christ. When yeah. we are not, we're expounding and explaining and literally reading on screen the words of our Messiah. We're teaching discipleship. So this is something important that we should not judge another master's servants, especially when we possibly cannot show a proficiency of the word ourselves to be a teacher anyway. This is an important thing to understand that we should not judge our brethren, right? We should just understand we're reading the words together. May you go and enjoy your discipleship and remember that you are required to obey Christ. And we're going to take his words and expound on them and lovingly teach them because this is the importance of what we're called to do. Uh, to teach the word of God, in faith and purity and sound doctrine and with all perseverance. Right. And despite you seeming to insinuate um, that we shouldn't be teaching these things. And I mean, you haven't quite called us heretics and unbelievers yet, but typically that's where the conversation goes with people who are of your understanding of scripture. We wouldn't do that to you. We're not going to tell you, oh, you don't see this the way that we do. So you must not really be a true believer. You must not really have the spirit. I think there's countless millions of true believers in this world who truly have a deposit of the spirit, just like we do, who have sat under bad teachings for generation upon generation upon generation and have, um, you know, cognitive dissonance without realizing it. And so 
you're really un you're incapable of hearing our responses to you and accepting the words that are right on the screen. I mean, right from Paul, the guy that everybody likes to use to say, oh, we don't have to do the law anymore. <clears throat> we won't turn around and tell you that you're not a believer because of those things. We just are going to pray that you will open your mind and your ears will be open to hear these things at some point to be able to accept the clearly written words of scripture. So we are following Romans 14 where you know, we're not going to stand in judgment over our brother. We do consider you our brother. And sometimes I might get annoyed with my brother or sister once in a while because <laughs> we have disagreements just like all siblings everywhere do. So that's the bigger thing I would encourage everyone to walk away from this uh, with is not carrying a spirit of condemnation um, and trying, you know, to be peaceable with everybody and not want to cause strife and argumentation and division and uh, correct someone who is a qualified teacher who's proven himself through his teachings and his fruit and his recall and knowledge of scripture as well. So I would just encourage some humility when it comes to that, because I don't believe that you would go to a church and stand up in the middle of service while this, while the pastor is teaching his flock and argue with him and insist that he's adding to the gospel or he's a heretic or anything like that. So, so we appreciate everyone that's here today. And uh, we just, guys, if you see uh, prayer requests in the actual live chat, please, you know, consider praying for those. Uh, you may see some also dropped in the comment section after this video. That's why we open that up for people to post those there if they're willing um, so that they, they can, Lord willing, other believers can see it and look and go pray for those for a minute and, and lift them up to the Father. Um, that's important as collectively as a body since we're doing this virtually and we're not in an actual room together. Um, that's very important. And uh, as well as we do still have the fundraisers for both Amber and um, Crystal. Crystal. Psalm 119. I was going to call her Psalm 119 first, but Crystal and down below. So if you guys want to research those and check those out, if it's on your heart to give uh, today, being the first of the month, you know, may the Father bless you and guide you on what to give and because there are genuine needs right now. And uh, and also lift up uh, Amber Plaster in prayer. Yeah. Also called Amber Stover. Um, lift, lift her up in prayer and uh, because she's battling cancer right now. Mm -hmm. So we just definitely want to keep her. Uh, we just don't we want to see her healthy and, and back to 100 percent. Yeah, that's what we want. So you guys are awesome. Um, Passover starts soon this week. Yeah, we'll be keeping Just it Tuesday at sundown. The eternal our... command of, of Passover. Yeah. The one that says you'll be keeping Passover and keep the one that in Luke 22, Yeshua said he is excited to keep it again with his disciples in the kingdom. Yeah. Isn't that exciting? Yeah. We'll be keeping it forever in heaven. And the kingdom of heaven that comes down to the earth, we'll be keeping these feasts forever. It's an joyous time. Don't let the devil lie to you and tell you that it's somehow a burden. Or that it's a, oh, just for dim Jews. No, it's for everyone in faith and belief in Christ. It is literally, we follow our king of Israel, our high priest of Israel, and we do the instructions for Israel because we're grafted into the commonwealth of Israel, Ephesians 2, 8 through 11. So maybe blessed. Thanks, guys. We appreciate you for being here today. I would like to clarify something <laughs> because Eric is now saying, I didn't know this was church. Look, our, our Sabbath fellowship is meant to be teaching. We are... We, or we come here on Saturdays not to debate people. We come here to teach people who want to learn. That's why we do the Q&A, because that's something you don't see in church that we do think should be in church, where people can actually ask questions and not in an argumentative way and not during the actual scripture reading and teaching. That's why we have a set time that we ask for order in the chat. We ask you to do your questions when we're ready to take questions. And even if your question 
you know, is based on you disagreeing with us on something, we will still answer it at the appropriate time. If Sean is doing a debate, that show is a debate. If he's doing another kind of show, that's another kind of show. We, so, we even, we've done open call-ins before, shows where you can just call right. in. You can literally put your face and talk to me in real time. And we're going to be doing more of those in the future. But the Saturday Sabbath Fellowship is a different yeah. little service. It's a different concept where we just yeah. try to serve the body by providing it to teaching and then yep. answer as many questions as possible. Yeah. And so that's why we have the moderators to try to keep things civil and loving because we, we, we get this all the time. People come in and hear this stuff for the first time. They, you know. <laughs> they buck. We, they we, it's, it's a very common thing. So, uh, yeah. you know, come so, back, keep watching, come back, keep asking questions. Just uh, just remember that um, we're going to keep giving you scriptures to answer your question, not the traditions of men, not the traditions of Calvin or Darby or Jonathan Edwards yeah, or, or the anyone, or Augustine yeah. or Tertullian. We're, we're going to be giving you the scriptures that are we consider the divine inspired scriptures from the prophets passed down to mankind. Hebrews 1, 1, God speaks to us in many portions and many ways through time. And so those are the ones that we build our discipleship to Christ off of. So this is where keep coming back, encouraging uh, to ask more questions in the future, yeah. but we're going to go for now. <laughs> we're going to go. Yeah. Thanks guys. We're done. Thanks for Thank you guys. Us. We appreciate thanks you. Thanks for putting up with me. <laughs>